You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. That someone is trying to convey to us, and we've all experienced that. And that misunderstanding so often leads to conflict, but it can also lead to harm to a relationship. We can also miss the point of an event and fail to learn valuable lessons that may inform the way that we move then into the future. But we can also miss the point of a tool and thus employ a tool in our life in a way that it's not actually intended. And I want to give you what I would bet is a pretty uh, familiar example for most of us. Last week, we took our kids to see the new live action Little Mermaid which, my gosh, it's so good. Uh, It is visually stunning. The music's gorgeous. And Tammy and I sat next to each other with hoodies on, just vacillating between like laughing and and ugly crying for a full (laughs) 90 minutes. It's so great. So whether you have uh, seen this new version or you remember the original from when many of us were kids and some of you probably were not born, which is pretty sobering, Um, you'll remember that very iconic scene of Ariel bringing a fork that she found in a shipwreck to the ever-misguided Scuttle. And when Ariel asks Scuttle, what is this thing? Like, what is it for? Many of you will remember, he says, oh, well, this is a dinglehopper. One of the great all-time names in a movie. And, uh, And he says that this is what humans use to brush their hair. And as a result, she spends the rest of this film Uh, brushing her hair with a fork, which is at best disgusting. Now, I know this is a super silly example, but I really want you to just notice what happens in that scene. Based on misguided information, Ariel misses the point of this tool. Now, Now, here's why I bring this up. Like Ariel receiving misguided information from Scuttle that left her missing the point of a fork, many of us, in a very real way, have received misguided information about the very point of Scripture. And as a result, we have missed God's purpose for this very powerful tool in our lives. Now, here's what I mean by that. Most, if not all of us, have been conditioned to understand Scripture as very little more than a means of mastering information about God and His will for our lives. So oftentimes, the way that we are trained as we grow up in the faith is we open the Bible, and our point is like to learn more information about God, to learn more information about his will for our lives. Now, to be clear, the scriptures are certainly meant to be a means of gaining information about God and about his will for our lives. I'm not diminishing that in any way, but he also means scripture to be so much more than just that. In fact, our big idea this morning is this. God intends the scriptures to also be a conduit through which we have a lifetime of transforming encounters with Jesus. Let me just say that again. God intends the scriptures to be a conduit through which we have a lifetime of transforming encounters with Jesus. And my bet would be that even in hearing that or reading that on the screen, there's something in us that like resonates with that. And we go, well, that sounds awesome. And I'm not experiencing that very often. 
But what we learn in Hebrews 4.12 is that the word of God is both living and effective. And what that reminds us is that the Bible is not a textbook. It's certainly not a science book. And it isn't even meant to be a mere history book. The Bible is a living story through which Jesus still meets us in the mess of our everyday lives and forms us in his image through ever-deepening relationship with him. That's the reason that God gave us the scriptures. Now, the good news for us is that we are by no means the first generation of disciples to miss the point of and within the scriptures. This was a very common mistake, even in Jesus' own day. In fact, so much of Jesus' teaching uh, in the first century, as we see in the four gospels, was helping people really understand points that they had missed in their own interpretation of scripture. So we're not the first people to struggle with this. And in fact, we're gonna see a very pointed example of this as Jesus helps these two disciples that we've been just very slowly walking with along the road to Emmaus that first Easter morning in Luke 24. And so this morning, we're gonna look at verse 27 and just verse 27, and we're gonna direct our attention to this big idea that God intends the scriptures to be a conduit through which We have a lifetime of transforming encounters with Jesus. And so let's rejoin these two very weary, confused, discouraged disciples on their journey together in Luke 24. And as we sit with verse 27 this morning, in case you've missed anything along the way, I just, I want you to remember that Jesus thus far has very gently drawn out their deepest desire. He has reminded them of the nature of the spiritual journey. And now he's going to use his own story to frame theirs. So look with me at verse 27. Luke writes this. It says, Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. One more time. Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And so here's here's what takes place in this description here. In the midst of their weariness, in the midst of their discouragement, in the midst of all of their confusion regarding what was happening in their own experience, Jesus proceeds to lead these two through like the Bible study to end all Bible studies. He takes them through the entirety of the biblical story contained in the Old Testament, because remember they didn't have the New Testament. So he takes them through the entire biblical story of the Old Testament, which Luke summarizes as Moses and all the prophets. And he takes them through that, and he shows them how ultimately all of that is about him, and that this should have really helped them be prepared for everything that they had experienced and taken place. Everything that had happened, happened exactly according to God's plan. So in that, there's two things that are critical for us to know. The first is this. Luke isn't saying that every single verse in the Old Testament is specifically about Jesus. Agreed? If you've ever read the Old Testament, you've for sure read some stuff, you're like, there's no way that's about Jesus. So not every single verse is specifically about him, but it does mean that the entire Bible, even the Old Testament, is the story of God's plan to redeem all things in Christ. And so one of the most important principles that has to inform the way we read scripture is that the Bible is a collection of stories that are all telling one story. It isn't a bunch of disconnected moralistic fables that help us know how to better live in life. 
Now, there is for sure things that help us learn how to better live in life, but that's not the point of the scriptures. It's a collection of stories that are all telling one story. And every story we read, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New, is in some way tied to this ultimate story of the Father redeeming all things in and through the Son by the power of his Spirit. And this is what Jesus reminds them of here. Now, secondly, even though not every single verse in the Old Testament is specifically about Jesus, Jesus does seem in this journey with them to show them how much of the Old Testament was, in fact, specifically about himself. Now, scholars in our day differ on the specific number of Old Testament references to the Messiah, but what they do agree on is there's like a ton. So, for instance... An Old Testament scholar named J. Barton Payne found as many as 574 verses in the Old Testament that somehow point to, describe, or reference the coming Messiah. Similarly, uh, Alfred Edersheim, who was a Jewish convert to Christianity and also an Old Testament scholar, he found 456 Old Testament verses referring to the Messiah in some way. So two different numbers, but what they have in common is like, that's a lot of verses. So Their point would be that these whispers and echoes of the Messiah in the Old Testament are absolutely everywhere. And I would argue that most importantly, do you know that even a conservative estimate tells us that Jesus Christ fulfilled over 300 specific Old Testament prophecies in his earthly ministry? It's one of the greatest proofs for the authenticity of scripture. There is so much predicted in the Old Testament that is fulfilled in Jesus in the New. Over 300 prophetic examples. So a couple of examples for you. And as you listen to these, don't try to write them down. Just Google, and that'll be way easier for you to find them. And so this might sound a little overwhelming, and that's kind of the point. We want to hear these and be like, oh my gosh, like there was, there was so much about Jesus predicted in the Old Testament. So listen to these. Do you know that a thousand years 1,000 years prior to the birth of Jesus, that King David promised that that the Messiah would be crucified in Matthew 22, 16, 1,000 years before it happened, and that he would resurrect from death in Psalm 16, 10. 700 years prior to his birth, Isaiah promised that Jesus would be born to a virgin, in a virgin, not a virgin. In, uh, that's a weird word to get wrong. I, that's Isaiah 7:14. Micah promised that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5:2, and Hosea promised that Jesus' family would flee as refugees to Egypt in Hosea 11:1. That's pretty specific. 500 years prior to his birth, Zechariah promised that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. 400 years before his birth, Malachi promised that Jesus would enter the temple in Jerusalem in Malachi 3:1. Now again, I know that might feel like a barrage of information, but it's so critical because it teaches us, and this is what Jesus was trying to help them understand, there is nothing that happened in his earthly life, death, and resurrection that was happenstance or accident. It wasn't like bad luck. In fact, it all happened exactly according to the Father's plan for him. Jesus fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Now, coming back to Luke 24, here's the point. Jesus here is using his story to frame their own. Jesus knows that they are very, very discouraged. 
And he understands that the events of the last few days in particular had left, left them feeling deeply disoriented. And I want you to notice that his remedy for their state was not just to like hug them and to be like, hey guys, cheer up, everything's gonna be okay. In fact, the subtext of Jesus' Bible study with them was this. He's looking at them and saying to them, you guys have missed the point. Not only of the last few days, but the entire story of scripture. He's like Moses and, and all these prophets, they, they spilled what feels like an endless amount of ink trying to help you see, trying to help you understand that all of this happened according to the Father's plan to redeem all things in me. And I know it has been hard for you, but your story, including the parts that have been heartbreaking and disorienting, your story is part of my story of making all things new. Now, here's the really important part for you and I. That same thing is true for us. Jesus wants to redeem and to resurrect every part of your story, even the most painful, traumatic, and wounding parts to be used as an essential part of moving his story forward in this world. And that is one of the most important truths for us to latch our hearts onto. So let me say that again, because I don't think we believe that. Jesus wants to resurrect and redeem every single part of your story, even if not specifically the most painful, traumatic, and wounding parts, to be used as an essential part of moving his story forward in this world, which means nothing we experience is without meaning and purpose. And so here's the thing in this. That's happening no matter what. Meaning, Jesus is always moving his plan for history forward. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says that all of human history is marching toward God's plan to bring everything together in Christ. And so that's never not happening. The only thing that is ever in question is our own awareness of how he's doing that in and with our own lives. And so one of the chief ways that Jesus wants to increase our awareness of this, just like he does with these disciples here, is to meet us over and over and over again with the gift of Scripture. And so then the question for us is, how do we learn to continue to sit with Scripture in a way that, again, not only helps us gather more information about Jesus, but also actually helps us encounter him in the midst of the Scriptures? And so to that end, I want to give just a brief refresher on an ancient spiritual practice that actually Kamala referenced last week that Jesus has been using for centuries to meet his people in and through the scriptures. The church fathers and mothers called it Lectio Divina, which is just a Latin word that means divine or sacred reading. And what it is, is a very slow and reflective way of reading the scriptures that opens us to what Jesus wants to say to us through it. And so just getting very, very practical here, what you do is you choose no more than six to eight verses, okay? So this doesn't work if you're like trying to crank through the Bible in a year and you're reading like four, five, six chapters a day. Trying to do Lectio Divina with that is not gonna be a great fit. But what you could do is in your reading, you could choose just a couple of verses and you could sit with this in an open and reflective and slow way. So you choose six to eight verses. I actually prefer just two or three and you're gonna read them a total of four times. And you're taking time in between each of those 
readings to listen and to reflect in the stillness after every single reading. And so here, here's how this works. Before you read anything, you take just a few moments of quiet to still your heart and your mind so that you can become attentive to what the Spirit wants to say to you. Now, the best way to do this is just to simply close your eyes. And I'm going to actually lead you through one of these at the end of the message today. But you'll take just a few deep inhales with your eyes closed through your nose and long, slow exhales through your mouth. And again, just practically speaking, your breaths, when you do that, should be deep enough so that you can actually hear yourself breathing. Now, physically, the effect that this has on us is that breath, more than almost anything else, regulates your nervous system. So it signals to the body, it's time for me, and it's safe for me to be calm, to be present, and to be attentive, rather than be in that kind of fight-or-flight mode that we live so much of our lives in. So we start with breath to calm down and to be in the quiet. And as you breathe, I always encourage people to pray a very simple breath prayer that will help you express your desire to hear from God. So for instance, on your inhale, you can pray, speak, Lord. And on your exhale, you can pray, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And when you're ready, you move to the scriptures. And so let's rehearse these four movements of Lectio Divina. The first one is simply read. Okay? So as you read through whatever the passage that you've selected is the first time, <clears throat> you're listening for something specific. You are listening for a word, a phrase, or an image that strikes you. Not like a punch in the face, necessarily, though I've had instances where it feels like that. But you're listening for a word, a phrase, or an image that captures your attention. So maybe a word, or again, a, a phrase of some kind, seems to stand out from the rest of what it is that you're reading, or causes you maybe even to have like a visceral reaction. Even if you don't know why, the point here is to pay attention to that and to hold on to that word or that phrase. Is there something in that that God wants you to see? I, I had a, a session with my own spiritual director this week, and uh, she led me through just like I'm explaining it to you and had me breathe and use the breath prayer. And then she led me through a Lectio from John chapter 20. Now, if you're not familiar with John 20, it's actually just, it's John's account of the events that take place right after what we're reading about here. So the disciples are together in a room, the door's locked because they're afraid that the, that the, of the Jewish leaders that they're going to come and arrest them. And in, in the midst of that, Jesus appears to them even though the door's locked, which is like one of the most Jedi things that Jesus does in the entire New Testament. And, 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 and so she you know, sets this all up for me, and she reads it the first time, and I'm just sitting there listening, and, and then she reads these words. He showed them his wounds, and I burst into tears. And I didn't even know why. I just knew that there's something about that phrase that is for me today. He showed them his wounds. And as we made our way through the rest of the Lectio, Jesus made it very clear to me why I needed that, to resonate with me. But that's what we're looking for. Now, again, you're not going to have every single morning or evening where you open up and you do your reading and you cry, okay? Uh, that would be exhausting, actually. So I don't know that you want that every single day. But what you're looking for is just what is standing out from the rest. 
And after that first reading, you're going to just spend a minute simply sitting with that word or phrase or image. And again, the goal at this stage in this movement isn't to figure out why the Spirit is directing your attention to it. The goal in this first movement is just to hold it. And so my encouragement would be to even just sit and to hold that in the stillness and gently repeat it in the silence. So for me, that would have been, he showed them not trying to figure out what that means for me, not trying to figure out why I'm crying in the midst of this, but just to gently repeat this phrase, in the stillness, he showed them his wounds. We hold that for however long that you want, a minute, two minutes in the, in the stillness, and then we move to the second movement, which is to reflect. To reflect. So in this, we read the passage a second time, reflecting on the way in which your life is touched by this word. So in this portion, what we're doing is we're asking this question, what in my life needed to hear this word today? What in my life needed to hear this word today? And so if you're reading a story, meaning it's a narrative like John 20 that I referenced, you might ask yourself, where am I in these verses? What, What here resonates with something that maybe I'm experiencing in my own life? What do I experience as I allow myself to like enter into this story. And so after we read, we reflect on that in the silence. And again, stay with that word or the phrase that the Spirit's drawn your attention to and invite him to then tie it to something that is going on in your life. So I did that this Thursday in my own spiritual, and it was like something just fit right into it. And I was like, oh, this is why this hits me so deeply. This is why the Spirit of God led her use this particular story in my Lectio with me. So we just sit with that as the Spirit attaches that to our lives before we move on to the third movement, which is to respond. And so as you read the passage a third time now, again, you are listening for an invitation or a challenge that might be contained within what it is that you're hearing. So we come this third time and we ask God this question, how are you inviting me respond to this? What are you inviting me to in the midst of this? Now, here's what I really want you to notice. I want you to notice as you're doing this, pay attention to what comes up in you as you hear this invitation, because it isn't always glad surrender. Meaning sometimes God invites us to some stuff that we're not like super pumped about. And so don't think that every time you do this, you're going to hear something and it's going to feel like, ah, I was really hoping this would be what God was going to invite me today. But really pay attention to what comes up inside of you because sometimes it is significant resistance. Sometimes it is deep fear. Sometimes it is significant pain. And I would argue, and I would bet, this is from my own experience and a lot of time working with people in this, that the reason that we don't like to read Scripture slowly is there's a part of us that wants to avoid this experience so much. But what we forfeit in the avoidance is relationship. And so being ruthlessly honest here is so important because God wants us to talk to him about this. Processing uh, 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 an honest response to his invitations is one of the most profound ways that he transforms us with his words, with his word. 
we have got to continue to, in addition to just praying for things that are going on in our lives, we have to move to learning to actually talk to God the way that we would talk to a friend about what is happening inside of us and outside of us. And I had an amazing conversation with someone in our church this week. We were talking about prayer in their life, and they were saying that their experience is and has always been exactly what mine was the vast majority of my life, which was waking up, reading a few verses of scripture, and then praying for something I needed in my life, something for my wife, something for my kids, something for our church, and then amen, and then I'm on with the day. And many of you have heard me tell the story before. There was a morning about three and a half years ago where I got done doing that, and then at the end of it, I was like, I could never do that again and be okay. Because that was the exclusivity of my experience of prayer. And so this person and I were having this conversation, and they were saying that that has been their thing. And I said, well, have you ever tried actually talking to God and like in a, in a process-oriented type of way about what's going on inside of you and what you're experiencing? And they go, you know, I've been hearing you say that for years. I've never done that. And I was like, cool. <laughs> this is really useful. <laughs> and my point in bringing this up is it benefits us nothing to just hear information and to gather information. It benefits you nothing to know that God desires to have that kind of conversational relationship with you. To just know that benefits you in no way. Entering into it is where all the fruit lies. Which is why, even as we walk through this today, unless you actually go and begin to experiment with this and actually try sitting with Jesus in the scriptures this way, it, this barely matters, which is okay. But in God's time and in God's way, there's a point at which we might hear the same thing, something we've heard 10, 20, 100 times. There was a, there, I remember a few years ago, we had Pastor CB from Denver in to speak. He said something in his sermon that I swear to you, I have said hundreds of times in our church. I get home and my wife Tammy goes, man, when CB said this, it was so, I was like, I've been saying that for years and you've never heard that from me? So just in the right time, in the right way, through the right voice, God speaks to us and stuff resonates. And so I trust that in his time and in his way, as we continue to hear about these things, that at some point we will respond to the invitation. But what I want you to hear, again, is that processing your honest response to his invitations is one of the most profound ways that he will transform you with his word. And so in this third movement, take as long as you need to process not only the invitation, but everything that comes up for you as a result before moving on to this final movement. And the final movement is rest. So we read the passage one last time, and then, and this is going to sound like counterintuitive, we just simply rest in God's good and gracious presence. It's like being with someone that you are, maybe your spouse or a close friend, that you can just in silence and be together, and there's something that is uniquely intimate and connecting about that where you're not having to fill every moment of silence because you're just safe in one another's presence, we just simply rest in God's presence. Remember that he is the one who empowers us for anything that he invites. So God will never call you to do something that is beyond your ability and then just leave you to flounder. He never does that. Instead, he invites us to many things that are very much beyond our ability, but then he empowers us supernaturally from, re 
from within. And so I want to invite you to just close that time by resting in the truth that he is with you and he is determined to help you. Now, next week, we are going to close out this series, uh, A Coal in the Fire, and I'm going to break down exactly how we do all of this in the context of community. How do we do this in the context of formative friendships at our church? But for now, I think the most important thing that we can and should take away from Jesus' response here in Luke 24 is I just want you to see his deep desire to engage people in relationship. Jesus wants you to actually know him. Not just information about him, but to truly know him. Like just, just try to receive the reality of this for a second. Jesus wants you to be familiar with his voice. He wants you to really know his character and his nature. He wants you to know experientially his heart toward you, his love for you, his presence with you, not just this like sort of cognitive piece of information that's theoretical that we hold in our heads because, well, I heard when I was a kid, Jesus is with me, I'm not alone. He wants us to feel and experience the reality of that. He wants to use his story in the scriptures to frame yours. And so let's continue to learn to sit with him in the scriptures. If not, for some of us, maybe for the very first time. And if not that, then to return to his purpose in his heart for the great gift that the scriptures are to us as a means of having a lifetime of transforming encounters with him. So let's pray to that end, and then I'd love to actually lead you through Electio Divina this Right, would you bow your heads with me? Father, we, we thank you that you, again, you are a good father and you are a good God. You are a loving God. You are a patient God. You are a gentle and compassionate God. And Jesus, we thank you that it is your great desire to not just be some sort of infinite, detached deity in our lives, reigning and ruling over our world, but you desire to be intimately connected to us in relationship. You want us to know you. And you, as Psalm 139 reminds us over and over again, you know us inside and out. You know us better than we know ourselves, and you long for us to grow in our experienced knowledge of you. And that is one of the great reasons that you have given us the scriptures. And Lord, sadly, we just prioritize, and I prioritize an endless number of things over sitting with you in your word. And I don't want to do that. And my sense is we don't want to do that collectively. So I pray that as we sit with you, as we open your word, would meet with us, not just in a way that expands our cognitive, rational understanding of who you are and what you're like, but in a very relational manner that would change us from the inside out. We know that you can do that, and so Spirit, we ask that you would help us to.